Hey, Christ community, glad all of you are here. Greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as everyone at the 15th Street Campus. So glad all of you are here. Happy Easter. Uh, you know, we're a church that believes that when we gather together like this, God shows up and he does some cool things in our lives, in people's lives. And that really is what Easter is all about. Jesus is not in the grave, he's alive, which means that he is eager to do things in our lives. It doesn't matter where you're at spiritually. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you've come to church or how far away from God you might feel. None of that matters to Jesus. And here's why. It's because Jesus is a giver of hope. That's what he does. That's what he specializes in, dispensing hope to people who feel hopeless, to people who are struggling to hang on to the little hope that they still have. You know, hope is a, is a very significant thing for us as humans. I, I heard someone or read someone uh, say that, um, that human beings can live for 40 days without food and four days without water and four minutes without air, but we cannot live for four seconds without hope. Hope is a significant thing. You know, we're nearing the end of this sacred time in America that we refer to as March Madness, and uh, uh, millions of uh, millions of brackets are filled out at the start of the NCAA tourney. You know, each one filled with hope, right? That the team we choose will go on to win the championship game. And then Virginia loses to UMBC. Who the heck are they anyway? And suddenly, you know, things start to look bleak. You know, pretty soon we realize we have no hope to win the office pool. We have no hope to score higher than our spouse who doesn't know anything about basketball, right? We, we realize that all hope is lost. So what do we do? Now, here's what I do. You know, I just stop looking at the brackets. You know, I stop paying attention. I just kind of check out of the whole thing. I don't want to be reminded of my failure, you know, of my hopelessness. So I turn my attention elsewhere. Now, that is a fairly easy thing to do when I'm talking about basketball. But what about when we lose hope as we're going through life, right? Well, what do we do when we're facing circumstances that are overwhelming and that don't look to get any better anytime soon, if ever? What, what do we do when it seems harder and harder to get out of bed every day, when we just want to escape? What do we do when we're tired of not having enough money? We're tired of feeling like a failure. Well, what do we do when hope starts draining out of our hearts like water drains out of a bathtub? You know, given the recent suicides in our own community, this question is not theoretical. It is where so many of us live. How do we find hope? How do we hang on to hope? Now, the Bible has some help for us in answering these questions. We as a church have been walking through the book of Luke, which, um, which is a, an eyewitness-based account of Jesus' life. And in this book, we are introduced to various people in real-life circumstances. And today, I want us to focus on Luke chapter 24, where we see two followers of Jesus who are experiencing the very thing that we're talking about here. Their hope is draining right before their eyes. It's it's the Sunday after the crucifixion, after Jesus' crucifixion, and these two guys are emotionally lost. 
as they're headed out of Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, they're talking about how distraught and confused they are. They're talking about how Jesus, a prophet who did amazing things, was crucified by the religious leaders just two days ago. And then they say, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Past tense, they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who would rescue them from their oppression. That's where they had placed their hope, but now he was dead. They also mentioned that some of their fellow followers, some, some women in their group had seen a vision of angels that morning at the tomb of Jesus. And these angels told them that Jesus was alive. So there was this glimmer of hope, but they didn't know, they didn't really know what all of this meant. They were stuck in this place of despair and sadness about the death of Jesus. Now, what I love about this passage is how easily each one of us here can place ourselves in this story. Because in so many ways, we are just like these two followers of Jesus. We believe in Jesus, and yet life has perhaps thrown us some curveballs, you know, some things that don't seem to fit with our understanding of what Jesus should be doing. And so we find ourselves sad and confused, you know, feeling like we are losing our hope. We had been hoping for a totally different outcome, a totally different life trajectory, and yet here we are in this place, struggling to hang on to hope. Now, what is so cool about this passage is how Jesus ministers to these two people in this place, how Jesus brings hope to them in their despair, because it's the same way he wants to bring hope to us. So how does the resurrected Jesus bring hope to us? First of all, he walks with us. He walks with us. Luke tells us in verse 15 that as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, I don't know about you, but this is not what I would expect Jesus to be doing a few hours after his resurrection. He has just defeated death, right? He has just moved these heavy stones, come out of the tomb. I mean, this is like the key event in the history of humanity. You'd think that that morning he'd be showing himself to as many people as possible, as many important people as possible. Maybe he'd be renting out stadiums or whatever, but here he is casually walking alongside these two ordinary people. We don't even know one of their names, and he's asking them questions. He's interested in what is on their hearts. I mean, why is Jesus hanging out with these guys? Doesn't he have something better, something more important to do? Apparently not, because this is important to him. These two people are important to him. And I want you to know you are important to him. You are important to him. See, I'm glad these two people are ordinary folks because it means that each one of us here can place ourselves in this story and see how Jesus wants to engage with us. 
Now, granted, Jesus there, he was, he was in the flesh in that encounter, but here's the deal, folks. Later on, when Jesus physically left the earth, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in anyone who places their trust in him. And Jesus described the Holy Spirit as his very own presence. So the Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus in us. It doesn't matter how hopeless or lost you feel. It doesn't matter how many times you have failed or how far from God you feel. If you are looking to Jesus, he is walking with you. You don't have to do anything to earn his attention or to keep him near. He is with you. He walks with you. Now, I love the fact that these two guys are walking with Jesus, but they don't realize it initially. <laughs> they don't recognize him. And boy, does that sound familiar, right? I mean, how often are we going through life believing in Jesus, but not aware of this reality that he, the resurrected Messiah, is with us. He is walking with us. He is living in us. He is concerned about what we're going through and what we're facing and what we're experiencing. I saw a quote from uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick last week. He said this, knowing who is with you is better than knowing where you're going. You know, knowing who is with you is way better than knowing where you're going. I love that. See, when we are feeling hopeless, one of the most important gifts Jesus has given to us is himself. He is with you. He is walking with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. No matter what you are going through, he is in your corner. He is for you. You matter to him. You are important to him. He is with you. Now, there's something else that Jesus does in this passage that can bring hope to our hearts. Not only does he walk with us, he also speaks to us. He speaks to us. Look with me, beginning in verse 25. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, Jesus starts revealing truth to them from the word of God. He goes back to Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. And he explains how all the things that have happened to him in the last two days, the suffering and the crucifixion, and now this resurrection, they were all a part of God's plan. They were promised in scripture. See, but these two followers of Jesus, they hadn't put all this together, and neither had the disciples back in Jerusalem. They hadn't put all this together, right? And in fact, there's, there's kind of a gentle rebuke, if you heard it, there, it, as I read that, a gentle rebuke here in Jesus' words. He says, how foolish you are. How foolish you are and how slow to believe what God's word says. How many times could Jesus say the same thing to us? <laughs> His word is filled with his truth and his promises. But when we're going through difficulties and hard times, we often disconnect from his word. The very thing we need, we disconnect from it. 
We disconnect from church. We disconnect from our e-group. Rather than reminding our hearts of God's promises and his truths, we start focusing on our circumstances. We start filling our minds with things that aren't true, with lies that we believe. God doesn't care about my situation. God has abandoned me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't have a purpose for my life. We start believing those things, but every one of those things I just said is a total lie. The Bible declares the opposite of every one of those statements. See, the Bible says God does see you and know you. The Bible says that God is with you. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. The Bible says that God is working all things according to his purposes, even when we can't see it. See, all of those things are true, and they're declared in God's word. But our feelings won't always tell us that, right? And our circumstances won't always tell us those things. So Jesus wants to speak to us in our times of hopelessness, which is why we need to fix our hearts and our minds on the truth of God's word, the promises in God's word. These truths are life to us. They are like an anchor to us as we experience life storms. Many of you know I'm a K-State fan, a Kansas State graduate, huge fan of football, basketball. And so I was very excited when my Wildcats won their first game in the NCAA tournament. But then in the second round, they had to play this, this Cinderella team that everyone was rooting for, um, the, the, the UMBC team that I mentioned earlier. Now, K-State was, was favored to win that game, but as I was watching that game, I was a basket case, you know? I was yelling at the TV, and I was griping about every call, and I was, you know, yelling about turnovers and all that stuff. I was so nervous in the final few minutes. I was so nervous that we were going to lose in the final few minutes. I mean, Raylene, my wife Raylene was sitting there on the couch. She was like, why do you watch this stuff if it makes you so miserable? You know, uh, that's a really good question. But um, anyway, K-State won, and I was very happy. So a few days later, I had record the, recorded the game. So a few days later, I decided to watch the recording of this game. And during the entire game, I was chill. I was relaxed, right? I was happy. Even when turnovers happened, I was totally happy. Same game, totally different experience. Why? Because I knew how it was going to end. Knowing the ending made all the difference in terms of how I experienced the game. See, folks, when it comes to life and God, we know the ending. We know the ending. We know Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection reminds us of the truth that he is Lord over everything, that he is orchestrating all things, even the most darkest circumstances. He is orchestrating all things for his purposes. And one day in heaven, we will see him and we will experience the fullness of his kingdom and his life and his love forever. We know the ending of the story, which can help us in the midst of the challenges we're experiencing now. We can relax in Jesus, knowing that he's working all things according to his purposes. As he walks with us and he speaks to us, that hope can continue to sustain us 
Now, there's one other hope-inspiring reality in this passage that I want us to see. It's something I'd never seen before until someone pointed it out a couple of weeks ago. When the three of them arrive, these two guys and Jesus, when they finally arrive in the village of Emmaus, they invite Jesus to stay with them. Here's what we read in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? See, suddenly they realize who it is. They realize it's Jesus. And now they see the last two out, few hours through that lens. No wonder our hearts were burning within us when he spoke to us. I mean, that was Jesus. Now, for as long as I can remember, I have understood this passage to say that when Jesus broke the bread there was a supernatural thing that happened causing these two people to recognize him. For those of you who are old enough to remember Touched by an Angel, uh, remember that show? How at the end of each episode, a light would descend upon Monica and everyone would know that she was an angel, right? That's how I always kind of envisioned this scene in Luke 24. But now I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that's what happened. Look, Look up here for just a moment. Look at me for just a moment. Luke tells us that Jesus, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Why did they recognize him? Because they saw his scars. They saw his scars. Their Messiah had scars on his hands. Visible reminders of the suffering that he endured for us. We don't have a God who is removed from our suffering. No, we have a God who has scars. We have a God who knows what suffering feels like. So when you find yourself losing hope because of the pain of this life, the struggles and failures and medical diagnoses and challenges, I urge you to look at Jesus' scars. Look at his scars. Remember that he knows what it's like to suffer injustice and rejection and pain. Folks, our hope is not a pipe dream. Our hope is not a fantasy. Our hope is reality because of the scars of Jesus. Don't let any circumstance, no matter how hard or difficult, don't let any circumstance rob you of this amazing hope that you have in Christ. I was talking the other day with a person from Christ Community who had gone to prison a few years ago for fraud. And the, the way the whole thing went down was heartbreaking in terms of, of if, what felt like injustice and then the, and the accusations and then the trial and then the sentencing and the impact on his family and the loss of most all of their financial resources and then having to go to prison and experience that horrible dark place. So he, he's not a big guy. And, and, and so I just asked, he was telling the story and I just asked him, how did you survive in prison? How did you survive? And he talked about having his life threatened multiple times um, and experiencing God's supernatural protection. He talked about how difficult it was emotionally to be in this dark place and how prayer and time in the word every day just on his knees and prayer and time in the word became so important to him, um, helping him hold on to hope. And then he said, 
And then he said that every night he got to call his wife and talk for 20 minutes on the phone. Every night. And he said this was his lifeline, just being able to look forward to that phone call every day. And often, he admitted, often there wasn't much to talk about, right? What's he doing in prison that's new today than yesterday, right? There wasn't much to talk about. But he said to me, with tears, I could see tears come into his eyes. He said to me, before they hung up, she would always say to him, I'll be here for you. I'll be here for you. And those words were an anchor of hope to his heart. See, Jesus says the same thing to us. No matter what we're going through, no matter how dark and overwhelming things seem, Jesus is constantly saying to us, I'll be here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here for you. I'm with you now, and I promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. In him, we have hope. Now, as a way to bring this message to a conclusion, we want to show a story of a couple in our church on this journey of hope. So let's watch this video. We're the Spars, and this is part of our story. Um... It didn't take too long, but anytime you're waiting, it feels like a long time. So I think we found out we were pregnant in December, December of 2014. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah? Well, around Thanksgiving. Time. Oh, around Thanksgiving. Pretty early on, we guessed that he was a boy, um, just because it was kind of a rough first trimester for me and feeling well. And so, um, and then I like to say that how did I used to say it? A lot of my sounds were not as feminine. <laughs> I burped a lot, made other noises. And so Jacob would tease me and say, it's got to be a boy because you sound like a boy. <laughs> um, so we thought of Isaiah, which means um, Yahweh is our salvation. No, the pregnancy was very smooth. Um, yeah, all the appointments went really well. We really liked our doctor. Um, yeah, no, no signs of anything going wrong at all. Yeah, it was no, no signs or anything. So. I was at work on Monday morning and I got a call that Sandy hadn't felt Isaiah move. She said she was going to the hospital to. The doctor. To the doctor to just make sure everything was all right. I was, I was maybe a little apprehensive, but I really was just like, he's just sleeping. They hooked up their machine to try to listen, to try to find a heartbeat mm -hmm. and stuff, and they couldn't find anything. So we thought maybe it's just technical problems. But then, so the ultrasound technician came in that time and immediately when she turned on the screen, I just knew it looked different than before. There were no um, colors on the screen for like blood flow. And so, and that's I think when the final, when our doctor said, he's, he's gone, 
I think that was when it fully hit me because like I was still believing like at any moment his heart would start again. We were crying and asking what happened and the doctor said in cases where it's a full term, you know, then the heart stops. We often never know why. The only thing we thought about Lord dreamed about was him being born and then it was just gone. Just to us again. Yeah. The whole thing was horrible, obviously. Um, but I remember a key moment was in the surgery room right before the C-section. There's there's no other word other than palpable is the best word I I have come up with was that there was a palpable presence of Jesus. Like no no way anyone can convince me that Jesus wasn't right there. And it wasn't joyful, but there was joy amidst the pain. And I think throughout the months, that's, that's how we saw hope continue, is that there were really, really dark days for a long time. And there's still dark days um, two years later, but I never was afraid to be what I was in the moment. Where I found hope was in like our support group, our friends and our family who were there at the hospital with us. My hope is in that God, God can take some terrible things. Like God doesn't lose, he wins in the end and someday Someday I'll meet my son as in heaven. We, um, two years later, were pregnant again with um, our daughter this time. Thought of her name, Hope Noel, as one name, because hope is um, a longing expectation, and Noel is Christ's coming or Christ's presence on earth. And we want to remind ourselves and remind our daughter that our hope is in Christ's presence and our hope is in Christ's coming and not in our circumstances. I'm not thankful that Isaiah died, but I'm thankful for things that have happened in us and our hearts as a result of it. I am by nature, by my sinful nature and old nature, a worrier. Because of Isaiah's life in my womb and Isaiah's death and our experience of grief, my hope is that in facing those fears, that'll be quicker to turn to God and quicker to say, your will be done, and I'm excited for the end result in heaven. All we can do is take one step at a time mm -hmm. and just trust that God will be with us every step of the way. Let's pray together. As, as we're quieting our hearts, I'm sure that all of us have places in our lives where we need hope. Circumstances, situations, relationships where we need hope. The hope that Jesus can give. And I want to encourage you right now in this moment just to open your heart afresh to the presence of Jesus in those places. 
Lord Jesus, thank you that you are with us. You walk with us no matter what we're going through. And I thank you, too, that you speak to us through the presence of your spirit, through your word. You speak to us truths that we can hang on to even when we don't feel them. That we know the ending of the story. And we can trust you each day in this And we thank you, too, for your scars that remind us you know what it's like to suffer. And so I pray for each person here who is experiencing an area of hopelessness or just barely hanging on. I pray you would pour out your grace and your power and your presence. You would fill our hearts with hope in you, not in our circumstances, hope in you, the resurrected Messiah. Now, while you, you can just keep your head bowed for a moment, I just want to give an invitation. There may be some of you here and what you need. You've kind of already been opening your heart to Jesus, and it's like the first time you've ever done that. And I want to just lead you in, a, in an opportunity, a prayer, where you can receive this amazing Savior. The Bible tells us that we enter into this relationship through faith. We don't earn it by our good deeds or trying hard, it's by faith, just admitting our need and placing our trust in Jesus. If you don't have that assurance that Jesus lives in you and that you, your sins are forgiven and his life is promised you in heaven, if you don't have that assurance, I want to invite you to pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Just pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy you are creator, you are holy, and I'm not. I've, I've done my own thing, I've gone my own way, and I realize that my sin separates me from your holiness, from your presence. But I don't want to be separated from you. Even though there is nothing I could do to earn my way to you, you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus, you lived a perfect life. And then you died on a cross for my sin. You died to pay the penalty I should have paid. I deserve to pay. Thank you for doing that for me. And I choose to place my trust in you alone I bring you my doubts and questions and fears and failures and sins, all of that. I I bring that all to you and I leave it with you. And in exchange, I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your presence living in me forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. Help me now grow in my relationship with you. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you that you now live in them. Continue to help them grow in you. And if you prayed that prayer, anyone prayed that prayer, I encourage you, tell someone and be sure and sign up for Alpha would be such a wonderful next step. You heard about it earlier in the video. A wonderful next step for you in this new relationship.
So God, thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we celebrate that hope now. We love you, God. We celebrate that hope through song. Thank you, God. So why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? We're going to sing just a couple more songs here. Uh, So let's stand. If at some point you want to sit on this, totally cool. But let's celebrate this amazing Savior who is ours and in whom we have hope. We love you, Jesus. We welcome you. We worship you. Thank you, God.